people! Welcome once again to the Party of One podcast, where the gaming table is always set for two. I am your host as always, Jeff Stormer. This week, I am joined by Hunter Fox from Slyfox Games, as he runs me through a session of Past, Personas, and Prophecy. Past, Persona, and Prophecy, also known as P3, is a fun, fast, and engaging fantasy adventure RPG with a focus on fast-paced, flexible, and highly cinematic action and adventure. It's really cool, and our game turned out really well, and I cannot wait for you to hear it. You can find more information about Past Personas and Prophecies in the show notes. Just a quick note before we dive in, though, I'm going to be at PAX Unplugged this weekend from Friday to Sunday in the greatest city in the world, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I really hope to see you there. At me, track me down, say hi, I'd really love to see you. And with that said, let's throw it over to me in the past so he can get started with the show. Take it past me. Thanks, future me. This week, I am sitting down with Hunter Fox. Hunter, thanks so much for coming on Party of One. Hey, thank you so much for having me. So, uh, why don't you take a moment uh, at the top to talk about the game that we're playing this week, because I believe it is one that you have written. It is something I've written. It's a game known as Past Personas and Prophecies, um, otherwise known as P3. It's, I would say, a light role-playing game. However, it's got a little bit of crunch to it, but it's only a slim little 60-page tome. And it's definitely narrative-focused. I'm always the game master, and... I wanted to create something where individuals create characters that are relevant and that I as the game master can use to, you know, use things from their backstory to create adventures that they can invest themselves in. And um, so I've created this uh, this role-playing game that definitely has a narrative focus where characters matter, the dice rolls matter, and are definitely um, allow the players to influence the story beyond just having a numerical hit or miss, succeed or fail. And also because I game master all the time, the the system definitely has a focus on the game master not rolling dice. That Which way, is good. characters, or rather their players, <laughs> can pay attention all the time. They're not bored because they have a lack of die rolls. I do love I do love rolling dice, so I, I'm I'm ex- I'm real excited to dive in. So since you're running the game, I will go ahead and introduce my character this week. Uh, one of the things Wonderful. I really like about P3 is uh, the character sheet. Uh, you, As you fill in the parts of character creation, it gives you a little narrative blurb to introduce your character. It's a very nice touch. I appreciate it. Thank you. My name is Kyreta Zinth, a human of Hurkan. I was once a soldier, raised on the battlefield with war torch in hand, but nonetheless trained in diplomacy. And now I am a defender of the town of Oasis and its honor. I love Oasis, a small tribe of refugees and survivors. It is my legacy, my home, the thing that I hope will outlive me. I love it just as I hate those that oppress the weak. I desire to one day see Oasis prosper and become a town in its own right, as opposed to a keep a fort, a place for people to stay safe. I want to see it become a home for people. But I hope that my inability to walk away from a fight, even when I should, nay, especially when I should, does not interfere with this dream. Wonderful. And I love Kyretta. And I just, I'm curious, because uh, we came up with the, or not me, but rather you came up with the name Oasis for this this sprawling camp that's turning into a town. Um, how did you come about the name? Because Oasis is definitely not near any deserts. It's the Western Steppe. I think it is, uh, as a wandering soldier in her youth, 
she she uh she's seen she's seen a lot of things right and she's she's met people who have traveled far and wide and so she's met people who have traveled to the deserts and they've told the stories of these oases these uh these havens in the harshest of conditions so when she finally helped to found this community it was the one thing that stood out to her was that like in the in the harsh lands that surround her of all of this strife and all of these warring tribes this would be the place that people would find refuge this would be their oasis and you're returning to a oasis correct yes you've been gone for a while yes i've been gone for about the last uh month maybe few months it's been a while I've been now negotiating peace talks with the with some neighboring tribes. I feel like if we can get, well, the pressing concern is if we can get attacks on our small town to stop, then we can then we can properly thrive. But if we can get them on our side to protect us, or even to come like, you know, maybe not live with us, but like acknowledge us, then maybe we can come to an maybe we can all like grow. So I was actually going to ask you if I could make a roll for something real quick. If we could start off with a roll. Wonderful. Let's do it. What do you want to roll for? I would love to roll a diplomacy roll to see how exactly those talks went. Okay. And were you meeting with a rival tribe or someone who's kind of indifferent and neutral? I think a rival tribe. I think they've been... I think that we've we've suffered some attacks and... You know, Oasis, we're not, there's not many fighters in town, so I, I went rather alone, maybe with, like, the smallest of retainers, but I imagine by myself to just, like, sit down with them and say, like, we need to hash out terms of peace. We can't survive if you attack okay. us, but I know that there can be peace between us. I love this. Um... Let's say is the Manduak tribe. Okay. The the tribe that has been so violent um, as of late that they've been displacing um, lesser tribes, such as those many of the people who uh, form the community of Oasis. So they're violent. So we're going to increase the difficulty. And you're also going alone. Yeah. So I'm also going to increase the difficulty. So it's going to be it's going to be five difficulty. Okay. To have uh, uh, to achieve a, a good resolution for your people. Okay. Uh, now, dice rolling in P3 is consisted of two phases. The first phase is I'm going to assemble my dice pool and roll, and I'm going to try to get five successes, which isn't going to be easy. I might not succeed at it, but we'll see where we go. So I start with a pool of four dice. I'm going to add two for my influence, and I'm going to add one more for my diplomacy. So I'm rolling a total of seven dice. Uh, I've Also, have you... T uh Taking a gander at the great effort rules. I have not. You can actually add extra dice to your dice pool. And how it works is um, we haven't actually determined spirit yet. But um, how it usually works is you can add extra dice to your dice pool. And if you succeed, you don't lose anything. However, if you fail that check, you lose spirit equal to the extra dice you added. Okay. Um, so... Can we do a spirit check first just to kind of set that up? Of course. And then you can gamble what you had? Of course. Okay. So let's, uh, what is your spirit skill? Uh, my spirit skill is zero. Okay, so four dice. All right. I got two successes. Okay. So you have two successes, which means, 
um, you're not super. It will really. It's not exactly low morale that you're shaken and mm-hmm. nervous to go into this, but you're not uh, going into this negotiation. Um, you're not extremely confident that you can come to a, a good conclusion, sure. a good resolution for your people. Sure. So you can, um, and you're starting, you're going to be rolling seven dice for your dice pool, which means you can add up to two dice on your dice pool. So you can roll a total of nine. And I will, I will do exactly that. I'm going to roll nine dice. I got um, one, two, three, three successes. So it was a failure. So I do lose those two spirit. You do lose that two spirit. So you're definitely shaken because that negotiation in particular um, really became to uh, almost came to violence in which their uh, local lieutenant to the uh, Manduak tribe really got in your face and you were outnumbered as he almost ordered for you to be killed there. However, um, one of his um, subordinates reminded him that you came under a banner of peace and they've let you go. So you're a little shaken mm-hmm. from that from that uh, situation. Um, now, how many despair, uh, despairs do you have left over? Let's see. That was nine. I had three successes. So six despair. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to say that he also made threats that your community could not last on its own and that you were but one of two warriors defending it, defending the old, the weak, the young from their fury, from their raiding parties, and that he had made a promise that he would return one day. So that's kind of looming on the horizon. So I, I come back to Oasis uh, shaken, let down in myself and upset that I've let down Oasis as a town. I know that I could do better. I know that if I if I had shaken my ego, then I may have been able to reach a compromise that I just couldn't see in front of me at that moment. So you've been traveling back to Oasis. And this world has no sun, but it has a flaming comet that illuminates the world during the daylight hours. And as this flaming comet, known as the Sky Seer, begins to descend and dip down past the horizon, night begins to shadow the borderlands as you approach the small camp that has grown around the old and ancient fort. And as you pass the first makeshift huts, you come in to town and you see your fellow warrior, Julian, riding atop his horned Kalipa back towards the fort on the hill. And you see both a father and daughter, uh, the father being Barultai, the local smith, and his daughter arguing of some issue in the dusty streets, or rather roads or paths of Oasis as you come into, t- come into town. I, uh, I greet Julian uh, curtly. I give him like a solemn sort of nod. But I hope that my body language will convey to him that I don't particularly want to talk about how the peace talks went. I trust that he will get the message by my slump shoulders and my uh, sag, my slump shoulders and the far off look in my eyes. Julian um, turns his cleep around and looks down at you and goes, Oh. Careta, I did not see you. I'm surprised to see you. 
and then he, you know, he studies your, uh, your posture and he sighs and goes, Oh, I assume the talks did not go well. Alas, no, not this time. There's always a next time, at least I hope there's always a next time. If not, there will always be, and she kind of flips one of these, uh, she's got two long metal torches in her hand. They're sort of, they're ceremonial, they're not the kind of things that you'd throw away, but they kind of, like, they're light and mobile. And she starts flipping one in her hand. You know, it's not lit, but she's just kind of flipping the, flipping the tort, the stick itself. If there's not a next time, then there will always be another confrontation. And I give you my word, I will be ready for it. And he rubs his temple as he kind of winces from a headache. And he goes, as I will be by your side, we will need those if anyone comes to trespass against us. Now, I, uh, I must retire. I do, I do not feel very well. May we talk in the morning? Yes, of course. You 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 seem you seem in rough shape. Go sleep. Take take the night. Uh I will and she kind of artificially like raises her posture and smiles and takes in a deep breath. I will play the town. I will play the role of the sheriff and try to brighten the spirits of of the people so that they don't know exactly what they're dealing with. We will Deal with the ramifications of this in the morning. Before I go, do play up their spirits. But if the talks went bad, as I assume, and as you have told me, lie to them. Give them false hope. They've already been hurt and run off by the Manduak. Don't tell them that threat looms over us. I will... I will not lie to them, but I will not tell them. Ex- I will. I will keep things close to the chest. You know, it's how we do, as we must. Now, <coughs> coughs, go go sleep. His chest. Of course, I, <coughs> I'll see you in the morning. And he turns his kalip around and trots up towards the ruined fort on the hill. She, uh, she takes in a breath and she kind of, she heads towards, uh, the smith and his daughter and she kind of takes on that sort of host role. She sheathes her, her war torches and she's like, friends, friends, there is no need for arguing. This is a joyous occasion. Kyretta Zinth has returned from her time away. The father, Barulatai, uh, the smith, he turns around to you and he, although he's not a recent a newcomer to Oasis. He's been here for the past few months, but his face still hasn't healed from a, a sword wound that was dealt to him uh, by the Manduak. And you see kind of he's lost his eye and there's a festering wound on the side of his face. And he constantly smells like this oppressive, uh, well, like a tavern. It smells of alcohol. Mm-hmm. However, the daughter turns and goes, oh, Kyretha, you're back. Yes. It's so good to see you. I have returned, um, and I say, personally, I think it's time for a feast. What say we join everyone else in town, shall we? Oh, I would prefer your company very much. Um, Barultai says, 
I, I've already, I've already eaten. Go off. I need to, I work on something. And he, he lets you be. And he kind of goes around to his forge and pulls out a flask or a, a skin of something and begins drinking, not really beginning his work in a promptly manner. But Kyra, uh, not, uh, not Kyra, excuse me. The daughter, whose name is Mide, you know, smiles at you with a, uh, a, uh, a smile of crooked teeth, but piercing blue eyes, and, and is eager to go with you. So, tell me, how is things? How have things been? It has been. It feels like years, though it has only been a month. How have things been around town? How are spirits? Are people keeping up? Well, she she looks to you, and her her smile changes. Um, her face becomes almost a. Not placid mask, but emotionless as she's trying to hide um, something. Can you give me an insight check? I sure can. That would be wisdom plus insight, so that's going to be five dice. That is one success. Well, what you can see, and you have boons or successes? Are boons left over or despairs? Uh, three despair. Three despair. Okay, I'm going to figure out how to spin those later. All right. Um, but I'm going to hold on to those. Cool. So three. Three despairs. Okay. So she tries to change the subject. She goes, oh, we shouldn't worry about what's happened in the last month. Let's feast. I would love to hear what happened with you. Yes, yes. I mean, I, I, I'll spare the details. It's a lot of negotiation. It's a lot of talks. And there's more talks to be had, but I can certainly, you know, I'm always, I'm always up for telling, for, for weaving a bit of a tale. And she and she she takes me day and they head towards the town square for one of their famous uh, communal feasts. So you begin heading up the, the dirt path, um, kind of from the outskirts of Oasis, leading into the interior where all the dirt paths converge together, forming not a plaza, but the makeshift center of Oasis. And as you begin to come out or arrive, you see that people catch sight of you with Mide, and they begin whispering amongst themselves, like, everyone, come, come, Kairata's returned. Um, people begin showering out of their tents, uh, their huts, coming to see you. Um, you see that some of the village elders arrive and go, oh, Kairata, please, tell us, how was your travels? Have things changed? Talks were had, negotiations were negotiated, you know how it goes, it's boring diplomacy talk. Now is not the time or the place for politics, now is the time and place. I I have been talking politics for the last month, all I want to do is eat and drink and relax. Well, what we can provide is food and drink. To sustain you and to nourish you after your journey. Please, have a seat. And they begin pulling out the benches and tables as they begin preparing the communal feast for dinner. Now that sun has set and you can drink on into the night. Now, as they begin setting the tables, you hear the rattle of chains that chime on. And you see a new sight in the town center. There's a cage and swinging in the wind ever so slightly, and in its metal bars rests a desiccated cargar, its horns protruding out of the cage and its large mass snug 
and tight in its small prison. And its eyes are intent upon you, staring at you, as you sit down. I I start to sit as I lock eyes with the Kargar, which is this large, this large four-armed Minotaur man. And I lock eyes with him, and I'm already back on my feet. And I grab, I grab someone, one of the one of the people like gathering food and things. And I grab him by the scuff of his collar, and I say, "We're starving. Are we're, we're taking and starving prisoners now? What is the meaning of this?" Um, the man looks at you with his eyes wide and stuttering as he doesn't know how to answer. And Mide interjects. She goes, "Oh no, Kyreta." This this beast was caught by Julian and the others. They found him on the outskirts. He, well, he's accused of having killed my friends. And we have proof of this? He, he was near, near Oasis. It wasn't just Julian who saw him, but he brought two of the elderly with him. He, this beast was found with his weapons bloodied. And three, three of the girls have gone missing. And she, she kind of starts to pace back and forth a bit as she kind of like reasons things out in her head. And she said, and then she stops and says, no, no. Accused or not, evidence or not, which flimsy evidence at that. Blades are going to be, I'm, that I'm getting lost in the weeds. No, we don't. We don't hang people from cages and starve them. And she walks over and smashes the lock off of the cage and kind of like guides him out. As much as you try to guide him out, as you smash the lock, he just tumbles out, falling onto the floor, onto his knees, his four arms outstretched, catching himself before he falls face into the dirt. I, I, I guide him up and I let him lean on my shoulder for support. The cargar lifts his mass up. <coughs> coughing and looks up to you with these red eyes and a maw of jagged teeth and looks at you and goes human my thanks but why have you let me free we I my name is Kyreta Zinth I am and she kind of looks around I am the keeper of of law and order in this town and if you have been accused I wish to interrogate you directly I wish to speak with you directly but if I'm going to do so I am not going to do so while you are starving and chained in a cage I'm going to do so with respect and and she points she kind of like points at someone Gather up, gather food and water and a little wine for me because it's, this is a lot to take in. Gather it, bring it to my hut. I'm going to be having, having, and she kind of looks over the crowd again. I'm going to be talking more business and negotiations and investigations because this, and she points to the cage and she points to... His ribs jutting through, you know, his visible ribs, is not how Oasis operates. They all begin scattering, going, oh, of course, Kyreta, of course, be careful. And they run off, grabbing the wine skin, grabbing meat off the roasting fire, and 
kind of putting it on a platter or a wooden plate, pewter plate, and they kind of push it forward, trying to stay as far away from the cargar as possible. So I've got the cargar on one shoulder, I grab the plate in the other, and we walk off to my my hut, which I think is near the center of town, because I I want to be where the people are, right? I want to be where... I want to be in Oasis. You know, I could have settled in the fort near Julian, but I want to be... This is my town. This is my legacy. I want to be here. So we go off to a hut not far off from the makeshift town center, and I lay out the platter before the cargar, and I say, eat, drink, and then we will talk. The cargar hastily grabs the meat and sinks its large maw into it, ripping away at the flesh like, well, almost a demonic beast. Now, as it begins to eat, it goes, oh, now, what questions have you? Um, I, I start to say, I, I ask, I ask, and I'd like to make a diplomacy roll to open up and, like, convince the car guard to answer honestly when I ask, tell me, and tell me honestly, because I need to know, because I need to know if, how to approach this. <sighs> tell me if what they say is true, and if you attacked those women. The Kargar looks up at you with its eyes, chewing slowly. Can you please make a diplomacy roll? Yes, I can. That is seven dice. That is one... three successes. So that would be three successes, but one despair. Okay. I am definitely going to use that despair. However, I won't tell you what I'm spending it okay. on. Okay. Because... The thing with mysteries is misinformation is <laughs> its a terrible thing. Um, the cargo looks at you, thinking, contemplating as it chews. <clears throat> I was alone. And then Julian found me, your leader. And I see you only have two warriors in this village. I've done nothing. I could have fought my way through him in those two bags of bones that accompanied him, but I was too weak. And it begins to hastily eat again, ripping away at its food. She, she watches him eat, um, and I think she, she, she leans into him and says, I don't, I hope you will understand if I do not, I cannot entirely trust your response. These are, these are grave accusations and right now it is mere, all I have is testimony, but I will make, but we treat people with kindness here, at least hospitality. So what I will say is this. I will make you a deal. If you stay here, in my hut, it's comfortable, there's a fire, I will ensure that food is brought and that you are fed and 
that there is water to drink, but I ask that you stay here. Perhaps a prisoner, but a prisoner in comfort. Until I go and speak with Julian, and I figure out what is happening. This is a lot to take in, and I need to know that I am making the right decisions before I make any decisions. The cargo looks to you. At the name Julian, his eyes kind of shift as he contemplates him. Can you make an insight check? I sure can. That is four successes and three boons. Okay. I will give, if you want to, so you look at him and he definitely kind of turns around, folds some of his arms at the name of Julian. And you can see that he's noticeably, noticeably uncomfortable. I'll, because you succeeded, I'll give you plus one extra dice if you want to press him. And then you can figure out how else you want to spend your boons. You could also add extra dice with the boons as well. Uh, for, I'm going to add two boons or I'm going to add two extra dice with my boons. I'm going to take the plus one for pressing him. And I am going to spend one to, uh, after I leave this conversation, if he hangs around, make sure that he is actually taken care of and that they don't put him back in a cage. Okay. So that's fine. And how do you want to press him with a diplomacy check yeah. or with an intimidate check? Yeah, diplomacy. I'm, 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 I am not, yeah, it's going to be diplomacy. So that's four. Okay. Six, seven. That's ten dice. Here we go. Oh, wow. <laughs> One, two, three, four, uh, five successes, but no boons or despair. Okay. And I say... So how, how do you press him? I say, you're hiding something from me. And I know you're hiding something from me. And I'm sure you have your reason. But I promise you, I am the only person that is going to ensure that if you are hiding it, that something worse doesn't happen to you. I need you to work with me because I don't... This... These are unlikely circumstances, and I want to make sure that Oasis treats them right, and that I treat them right, and that you are treated right, so I need you to tell me what you are hiding. The Kogar looks up, still arms folded. You've treated me well thus far. I don't trust the others here. The others are not... The others are not your concern. I will ensure that the others do not come near you. And Julian, you will keep him from me as well. You are my you are you are my prisoner. You are my responsibility. No one else is until this is settled. Julian. Julian feels strange. It's uh, I lack the words he feels off he feels like being around another cargar I don't know how to give word to it but something does not feel right he he was sick when I saw him earlier there I definitely got the feeling that something he's affected in some way this might these things might be connected I 
I will go speak to him. And if I were you, he looks down at your war torches. I take those with you and keep them close. She gives a cocksure grin and says, they never leave my side. And she, uh, she gives a, she gives like one of those two finger salutes and she kind of turns and says, until I return, friend. And she walks out. She kind of looks to the town center. She just kind of points at someone and says, like, get over here. You see that everybody is kind of like, kind of like gossipers or people trying to see a spectacle. The entire crowd is outside of your hut having Wait, having had been awaiting, you know, the cr- sound of crashing items and <laughs> things being thrown around inside your hut. And when they see you, they look relieved and dumbstruck. Mm-hmm. And then one of them gets pointed to and goes, oh, yeah, of, of course, Garetha. What, what would you like? Food, bread, and water will be dropped in front of the hut. Uh, food, bread, and water will be dropped in front of the hut. In the morning, and at every meal. You don't need to go inside. He doesn't need to come out. You just merely put it in front of the hut. He will come and get it. But you will ensure that he is fed and has water to drink. The The man nods eagerly and goes, Of, of course, Carreta. Uh, of course. If, uh, but must I do it? I don't want to go anywhere near that hut. And she kind of sits there for a second, her finger still extended, and said, Yes, now, now, yes. Now it's you. Now it's oh, you. Oh, all right, Kaiveta. All right. And he goes off, <laughs> kind of sulking. Now that it is his duty um, to uh, take food to the cargo. <laughs> and so she, um, she says, Go. And she kind of sighs and says, okay, I am sorry. Go, eat, drink. The issue has been settled. This is still a joyous night. I have returned. The talks are at an end. Enjoy your night. I have business to discuss with Julian. I will join you after. Of course, Careta. And they all begin taking seats at the benches, commencing the meal now that you've given them permission to do so. Um, they really look to you as a respected figure of the community. And it is now rather dark. I mean, it is night. And as you begin to ascend the hill towards the old ruined forts um, that sits above Oasis, you see that there are but few stars in the sky, but one or two and four moons that kind of light your path up the dirt pathway. And you do not have a Kalipa, is that correct? Uh, yeah, I travel, I travel by foot. I, I don't get along with animals. I don't get along with most things. Well, you got along with that cargo pretty well. Yeah, I can, I, I, I can put in the effort. I think I like, I think I like the solitude. I think I tell myself that I don't get along with things, despite the fact that I'm pretty charismatic and pretty good at diplomacy. I think I just tell myself that so that I have excuses to be alone. I like it. Now, what is, what is, just to kind of take a moment, what does Kyretta think? Um, what's going on in her head right now as she has this time of lo- alone to herself climbing the hill? She, 
I don't know why... If people are turning up dead, that is... You know, I I could handle it if it was an attack. If it was an invading army, I could handle that. At least then I can point to the thing and say, I can fight this. I don't know how to fight a mystery. And if the Kargar is to believed is to be believed if the Kargar is to be believed, and he might not be, then Julian is sick and not thinking right. There's just Something going on, and I need to get to the bottom of it. I need to find... I need to find the thing that will ensure that the people of Oasis can be safe. Because I know... I know, I know that they won't be safe for very long. So at least I want them to be safe within the town. And this is all going through your head. As you finally reach the fort, and you pass through its battered-down gates. Those gates that defended this fort and its past empire against, well, the barbarian hordes of your people. And its grounds are completely desolate and barren, save for the black silhouettes of many crows atop its battlements and the the lone Kalipa that is uneasy and pacing around in its makeshift stable. Of what's left of the fort, you see two buildings, one clearly an old barracks, and one perhaps the ruined home of a long-dead commander. Do I know which one Julian stays in? Of course. Um, Because you and Julian have such a close relationship, having fought side-by-side to get the people of Oasis to this location... You know that he makes his home within the old commander's estate. Then that's where I'm headed. I want to go. I'm, I'm going directly to find Julian. It is. It, I. I need to get. I need to get his word before I do any other investigating. Now, as you pass the threshold from the uh, the training yard courtyard area of the fort, you come into this ruined keep, which reeks with a musky scent of damp mold as you kick up dust walking down its empty passageways. And you hear the subtle drip, drip, drip coming off from some far-off area, water falling somewhere. And now many of its ancient furnishings remain in decaying fashion, abandoned, abandoned and unlooted. And all you hear are your steps echoing off the walls and your breath as you look down to two paths. You see the stairs ascending upwards towards Julian's chambers. And then another path which leads down into the old cellars, the place where Julian prays, the place where he's made a shrine to an archangel of the new faith, the faith that is different from your people's heritage i'm gonna go towards his chambers i want to i want to meet him directly i want to i figure it's late i i i trust he's sleeping he's sick he's probably resting so i want to go speak to him in his chambers 
Now, as you come up the stairs, you come to Julian's room. The door that was once there has been battered down and lays flat on the ground in disrepair. And the bed, which was rotted, has been replaced by a pallet of furs, customary of your people. The table, the workbench that lays in the room, has tools, hammers, chisels. But you do not see Julian in this room. It is all but empty, with torches silently illuminating the room. Can you please give me an arcana check? Arcana, yes. Is that brains? That would be brains. All right. So that's going to be a flat four. Two successes, no boons, no despair. Um, coming into this room, you don't feel anything pulling you or pulling you out of it, drawing you to another location, but you do feel like there is a difference of pressure, go as if going from a low pressure to a high pressure room. As you step through the threshold, you look about and nothing really stands out, save but the pallet and the workbench. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a moment and examine those tools, take a look at them, see if there's anything, anything unusual about the tools, and then make my way downstairs, if not. Wonderful. And as you look and step closer to this work table, the tools are insignificant, not out of the ordinary. But you see that Julian has been working on something. You see these blood-red crystals, and they are being carved and shaped into the image of an, an angel, a woman with flared-out wings. And he's carving this himself, and he's rather quite good at it. You've seen Julian in the past, through your travels, coming to Oasis, whittle and carve away at wood, making fine ornaments. Um, however, as of late, he, he has been converted to the new faith by a missionary that lives within Oasis, that lives with you, trying to convert the populace to the new faith. Um, but the blood red is... Can you give me um, a religion check? I sure can. And give yourself plus two dice because um, you you are familiar with old traditions. I mean, being that... This is what your people kind of do. Absolutely. Um, would this be... This is wisdom, correct? Uh, it's actually also based off of brains. Oh, okay. Religion. Great. All right, then that is going to be six dice. One, two, th- one, two, three, four successes. And two boons. It's not out of the ordinary. The old faith used to make charms of blood red for to represent the blood gods when they were going to be married so a uh, a potential groom or husband would propose to a lady by give, providing her a charm or something of a blood red color be it a necklace a ring something of that sort and you see that there are many statues many carvings that julian has been making 
but it's only customary to give one or is it customary to give many? It's usually customary to give one okay. to somebody. Very peculiar. Um, I'm going to pocket one of them. Sort of start flicking it in the air like a coin a little bit, like one of these tiny, uh, these, you know. Am I right in thinking it's like tiny stone size or what's the size of this? Is that an unreasonable thing to be doing? Um, yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> if we're using role-playing terms, it's about three times the size of a, a, a miniature. Okay, perfect, yeah. <laughs> then I'm going to start like, okay. I'm going to pick up one of the, uh, I'm going to pick up one of these, uh, these charms and start like moving it in my fingers a little bit like a coin. Kind of half, half lost in thought and half as sort of a comforting thing of just like doing a repetitive motion as i look around and he's not here there's something in the air but i can't pinpoint it he's probably i guess he's got to be downstairs so i'm gonna go talk to him downstairs wonderful as you begin rounding about coming the way that you uh you came on your first pass through the the old estate. You now descend into the dank cellar of this old keep. And although the most of the room is covered in darkness, you see a lone statue illuminated by a trio of candles, which reveal the fervent face and fiery eyes of an archangel looking down. Now, her pale stone is contrasted by the dark fur hide that is hung behind her that drapes the wall. Before the statue, you see Julian giving prayer, chanting in Norstari, the language of the jeweled north, giving praise to the, the angel before him. He doesn't seem to notice you as you come in. I move slowly, and I hope that to let him finish his prayer before speaking to him. But I, but I'm just gonna kind of like wait there patiently, hoping that he, hoping that he's near the end of whatever ritual, and hoping that he's coming to rest because he's sick. Right, and it looks like his his prayer is so. Um, he's so fervent in his prayers that it's almost exhausting and draining him just to to conduct himself in such a way despite him being sick. And you see he grows more and more pale as time passes, as you're giving him enough time to finish his ritual. You go from five minutes to ten minutes to fifteen to twenty. As it drags on, he becomes more and more pale and his fits of coughing become stronger and more regular <coughs> until finally his coughing is so much that he has to break from his prayers. <coughs> he stands erect and sees you, his eyes surprised. <coughs> Kyretta, I go, you are here. I go and I kind of like, I, put, I, I, I give him the shoulder of support that I gave to the cargar and I kind of lead him towards like a seat. It's like, please sit. You're coughing. <laughs> you're coughing up a storm. You're not. Julian, you're not well. What is, what has happened? What is, what happened while I was gone? <coughs> oh, Kyretta, nothing. 
it's, I think we pushed ourselves so hard when we came to Oasis that I have been sick ever since I, we arrived here. I would like to make a diplomacy roll. As I, as I sit, as I kind of kneel in front of him, and I, I, I lean forward and I say, that is only part of what I mean. It is an important part. Like, your, your, your health is important, but like, your health is important, but there is this business with a cargar, and there, there are people going missing, and, and I reluctantly, uh, stop, I reluctantly take my other hand and I show the charm. There is what I have to assume is marriage on the table. What has happened in the last month? Something is going on, and I need you to tell me what it is. He tries to make light of the situation, smiling slightly. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm sorry, Careta, but <laughs> it, that charm isn't for you. That's what you think. <laughs> You're, you, flatter, you flatter me. You're not my type. But, um... What what is this business with the cargar? What is this business with people going missing? You caught someone in the act of murder and caged them up in some sort of public display? I don't understand. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, Kareta. And he pauses and rubs his temples. Oh, my head is ringing. But <sighs> lower your voice, please. Now, we did not catch the Kaga in the act of murdering, but he was close to the village. He's close to Oasis, and I had, well, we were looking for someone or something that has been killing the young women of this village. And for that matter, the women, <sighs> and he looks sad as if, remorseful the young woman that I've proposed to, that I have sought out for marriage this creature is guilty of killing them but you have no proof save but that his blades were bloody and that the women that we found <sighs> when their bodies just came up from the small creek near the monastery. They were covered in cuts and lacerations. That actually is a convincing case. And that is why he swings now within that cage with lack of food and water as punishment. And although he was bred from demons and that is where his heritage lies, We will show him our evil side and what we are capable of. I... Wait, but tell me more. I, 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 I feel there has to be... I'm missing something. Something important is things aren't adding up. And I need to talk to you. 
They said... When did you get, like, again, I, I, I hate to revisit, but when did you get sick? I got sick. <sighs> Maybe a week or two after we arrived here in Oasis. You know, I, I did not set up tent and camp like you did. I, I saw the advantage of this place, this fort, and I, I took it, being it the one defensible location here. And who knows, I may have gained an illness from pushing myself too far, but I fell sick after coming within here. I have many questions, but you need your rest. I'm going to put you to bed. Your time, your, your prayer, your worship is done. It's time for, it's time for rest. Come, come, please. And he coughs, <coughs> and he rubs his temples, and he looks back to the angel statue, thinking he must dedicate more time of worship to um, this angel that, well, you are frankly unaware or unfamiliar with, being that you aren't from the jeweled north. And he looks at this this angel, before turning to you, goes, yes, <laughs> yes, I will come with you. And he puts his arm around you. Please, <laughs> Kaibeta, <sighs> take me upstairs. And she guides him upstairs. She, she lays him on the furs. And she gives the room one final look. She gives, she gives his bedroom one final look around to see if she can understand what this feeling of pressure is. What? What is wrong with this room? Something is different. Um, do you still have the crystal in your in your hand or in your pocket? I do, yes. Okay. Um, well, the, f the familiar sense of pressure is still in this room, as if it's kind of squishing and opposing itself around you, molding around you. However, you, you do not recognize anything different than the first time you, you came in. Um, and as you leave the room where Julian begins to pull up, <coughs> coughing, pulling up the furs around his body, you see him turn his back to you as he kind of gets into a sideways position and tries to fall to slumber. I'm going to go back downstairs and study this, uh, this statue. Of course, as you return back into the dusty statue, you see the angel still illuminated, <sighs> lit from beneath, um, looking impo imposing at you. You know how you lift a flashlight up and you put it beneath your face mm -hmm. and the shadows cast across it? Mm -hmm. That's kind of the, the atmosphere I'm trying to yeah, con right, uh, convey right, yeah. to you. And it looks down at you, and now this, the the posture of this angel is that it its face is fervent and de determined and focused, and it holds up one hand like it's about to strike, and the other one is contrapposto at rest at its side. I take the jewel, and I'm going to put it in its hand. 
Okay. Now, um, you rest the jewel onto it, and I need you to make a resist save. Alright. Is that wisdom? It will be based off of wisdom. Alright, excellent. That is one success and one despair. Hmm. Okay. As you begin clutching the gem in your hand, you feel an ever so slight tingle at the back of your head, like a scratching kind of behind your left ear. But it grows stronger and stronger as you try to place this gem within the hand of the angel. And the scratching gets stronger and more fierce and fast-paced until suddenly you hear something whispering almost in your left ear and it goes hi welcome and i'm gonna spend your um despair because you lost spirit earlier mm-hmm. correct mm-hmm. i'm gonna spend your despair to lose spirit so you get kind of kicked down and you are now lost to the control of some presence that's in the back of your head and you fall to unconsciousness okay Now, when time passes and you eventually wake back up, you don't know what time of day it is. You don't even have a recollection of really where you are. Because as you look around the room, you see not the statue of the angel or the candles flickering, but you see another cave. And in this cave, there is a glorious spray of red crystals like stalagmites in its ceiling hang uh, hang above you their points aiming at you like sharp spears and as you turn your head and you look off to your right you once thought you were alone but you also see Mide the young girl also unconscious beside you and around her neck is but another necklace and a blood red charm hanging loose. I I look around. I am immediately defensive as I try to get my bearings. I kind of I I rip the charm off of Mide's throat and I kind of shake her up and I say, Mide, Mide, I don't know, Mide, Mide, I, wake up, come with me. And um, as soon as you pull off the charm, I need you to make another resist check. Okay. Two successes and a boon. And a boon. How would you like to spend that boon? Um, I would like to spend it to get her to, like, a conscious state where she can kind of, like, follow, you know be aware and alert and attentive to me if possible. Okay. So you take it off and you shake as her kind of her, uh, her body's limp from being incapacitated and her head's rolling about until suddenly, Kyreta, where are we? I don't fully know, but I promise that I will get you back to safety. 
this a, 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 a cave? It is some sort of cave. There are some sort of crystals. I just, I need you to promise me that you will stay close, stay behind me, and stay safe, because I promise I will get you back to Oasis. It's, it's so dark, I can't even save for the light from these glowing crystals. I can't see. Where, how do we know where we'll she, go? She flashes that same cocksure grin that she flashed the cargo, and she says, When lost in the darkness, all you need... And she whips the torches into her hand and starts kind of twirling them. And then she strikes them against the rock. And the fuel chambers near the top of the torches let loose a plume of a plume of gas that the spark from the rock ignites. And she starts wielding her torches and she just smiles and says, All you need is a little light. And you see her face just blow up in glowing and splendorous light from your war torches as they blaze between you two. And you see now, with the light of your torch, there are two paths. One winding off, where you hear a slight low hum or sound or rhythm. And the other path, where there is silence. We move towards the rhythm. Of course. And as you begin to try to make your way down towards, uh, down this path, that furious scratching at the back of your head begins again. And you see Mide lift her own hands up to her head, rubbing her temples. And she goes, what is that? Oh, my ears. And then you can hear a high-pitched hum radiating from the gym within your pocket and also the crystalline formations up above you. And they begin vibrating so fast that they are making a high-pitched noise. Um, and then suddenly they shatter, exploding. And the shards are going to scatter about the room. And you have a choice. You either defend yourself and get to cover or you protect Midei. Oh, I protect Midei. No question. Okay. There's not a moment of hesitation in Kyretta as she as she uh, blocks as she swinging her swinging her torches and trying to deflect as many shards as possible. She positions herself between the explosions and Mide. Wonderful. And as these sharp, um, shard-like objects plummet through the sky directly at you, you try to parry them, block them with your war torch and your fiery dance. Can you make, I think it would be a melee, or it would be an avoid check. Okay. Uh, and you also have weapon parry, correct? I do have weapon parry. I was about to say that I believe I get a bonus for that. So that's uh, maybe four, five. And I am not wearing armor, so that is an additional plus one as well. Um, in under normal circumstances... I would allow you to apply that because you would be nimble, dodging okay. out of the way of things. However, right. because you are literally kind of the bulwark okay. uh, standing I see, I see in between. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Okay. You got me. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, I got gotcha. uh, Make a Okay, roll. so in that case, I've got uh, one, two, three, four successes and three boons. Four su- Okay. So, <laughs> you know, four successes 
is is pretty amazing, and the boon. So you're going to block pretty much the entire the totality of the damage that's coming uh, onto you. So you block, but you take you do take one damage. However, okay. But ex- describe to me what happens. Um, I the explosion thing. It starts to like the charm in my pocket starts to shake, and I feel it. I think it. I think the one damage is it bursts. It is like I kind of uh. I'm very good at, like, tossing the torches so that I can, like, briefly kind of, like, use my hands. It's kind of, it's 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 one of the trick of the war torch dance, right? Like a very Arya Stark kind of thing. Yeah, so I flip the torch in the air and I kind of, like, feel this vibrating thing in my pocket and I hold it in my hand and it bursts. And it's like, oh, God, and then I grab the, uh, I grab the torch... But like my hand is bloodied and I can feel like the singeing of the hot metal of the hot metal rod in my hand, like cauterizing the wound and burning it a little bit. <laughs> okay. And then the explosions start and I have to like, I kind of, I position it and I start just twirling the torches and smashing shards and the blood is kind of trickling down my palm onto my wrist as, and I'm like, I finally like catch the last of the shards and Mide is safe but my hand is burning but there's no time there's no time to patch it up we have to get to safety so we continue towards the rhythm because something is better than nothing light is better than darkness now Mide looks up um, pulling her hands back from her eyes looking around surprised that she has survived such a furious onslaught of just f- almost falling glass is the best comparison. Now, mm-hmm. she goes, no, please, lead on. And as you make your way through the tunnels, illuminating the darkness with your um, glowing war torches, you recognize the sound of the rhythm. It is the falling of water. And the cave tunnel opens up, and you see a pale light coming through a drape, not a drape, but a a curtain of falling water before you. I I I put a hand up to Mide to say, like, wait here, let me make sure it is safe. And I'm going to pass through the curtain of water. And as you come through the curtain of water, you come out into a enclosed area kind of like an alcove within, bordered and rimmed by a short and shallow cliff side. And you see a periphery strand of trees, each of them carved with knots and images of the blood gods. And in this this area, you see that there is one woman, someone you both recognize, the priestess of the blood gods, Zidra, who lives in the shadow of the fort, and she sees you erupt out of the sh- uh, the waterfall that cascades nearby, and you come out into this open air, and she goes, Oh, by Nesra, where did you come from, child? What What is wrong? And they, she sees the blood dripping from your hands. Where? Zidra, where... Are we? I I have to explain. That is an odd question. And I kind of explained to her 
the statue and the charm and the cave and the exploding crystals. In short, and I ask her the question again, where are we? How did I wake up here? She, as you begin discussing crystals, especially those red ones, and the fort, and she begins cutting the dots, her face becomes much more stern. The surprise leaves her face. She nods, ever so intent to listen to your story. Oh, my child, the two of you, come, come close to the fire. I think something is seriously amiss. The fort has a history. The priestesses have always lived nearby, a wary and are ever vigilant to the presence of an old evil. The Belkanid Caliphate once set up this fort, and they made pacts with demons and devils from the infernal circles of hell. And they were slain by our people. But when they bleed, those devils, they bleed into the ground, and it comes up and swells from the earth as red gems. I think that is what you have encountered. And I always hoped that the presence was long gone, for I have never seen such evil. But I think the stories are true, and I think something must be done. Then I, then, but wait, then, but I have a question. If someone were to take these crystals, if someone were to mold them or craft them, tell me, Zidra, could it infect them? Oh, child. It might very well do that. And for all we know, the two of you, although unfortunate, may also be corrupted. Now, who has been crafting such gems? Show me how to get to the fort. Zitra and your war torches were... Um, smothered by the cascading curtain of water. But I'm assuming you've relighted them. Yeah. And as Zidra guides you, although she's not an elder, she is wise beyond her years. And she walks and guides you through these paths that walk along the edge of the cliffside. And as you follow this, you see um, that Oasis is dark beneath you. That it is say, 200 feet from you, further descending down the hill, and that the torches are gone, and most people are in their pallets, warming their beds. And as you come around this cliff, you rejoin the path that you followed to the battered gates. And as you go there, is by the way, is Mide with you? I think we stop at the gates, and I turn to Mide, and I just say, Mide, go home. Go to your bed. But, but, c- c- sh- should I gather what, what men we have? I- I'm, f- I'm afraid for you. Go to your bed. Sleep. And when morning comes, 
this will all be put to rest. You have my word. Or my name is not Kyretizanth. And I don't think there will be sleep tonight. I, I, I will await you. I will... I will await for you and your safe return. Please be be careful, Kyretta. And she starts backing up. She flips the torches into her hand and says, When am I ever not careful? And I think at that moment she kind of slips over. She stumbles over a rock a little bit. <laughs> Zidra and, and Kyretta, out of respect, um, try to pay no heed or... <laughs> Make it try to appear like they're not noticing that you just had a little bit of a tumble. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I turn and I, I torches in hand head towards uh head towards the commander's quarters. I head towards Julian's room and I head towards the crystals. Now, before you even reach the commander's quarters in the dark, shadowy night, you see the silhouette of not but just the crows that are on the battlements, but you see the Kalipa is out of its stable, and atop it is Julian. And you see that he is in his armor, and there is a sword hanging loosely from his right hand. And he looks at you as you come through the battered gates with Zidra. My face is hard and unyielding. I point a torch at him. And I say, step down off of the Kalipa. And come. And join me. So that we can put an end to that which has threatened Oasis. And he looks to you. Unmoving. Until he lifts up his sword, and you hear him yell and echo out across this large courtyard. He goes, no! The time for talk is over! The threat to Oasis is you, Kyretta! You oppose me! I am the one who truly defends Oasis! You have stolen my bride! You do not believe in the faith of the archangels. You are the one hindering the progress of Oasis. Drop your war torches. And there's kind of a wavering to his voice as if he's crying. I I do not drop the torches. Yeah, I think as I'm flipping the torches, I merely ask him, do you still keep the crystals on you or are they merely in your chambers? I don't think he talks. Okay. I think in silence, he kicks off on his Kalipa and he begins charging at you. The Kalipa's head reared down, its ram-like horns ready to knock you flat on the ground so that it can trample you. Okay. Now, I would normally ask for a spirit check, but... That mm-hmm. I usually only do that either at the beginning of the first combat or the beginning of a session. I never roll. We okay. never roll it again throughout the session because your morale has been affected by this entire right. adventure. So you're pretty low right now. Where where is your spirit at currently? I'm at zero. So you are shaken. Yep. Shaken being that you 
um, receive minus one on all dice pools because of your nervousness. Okay. And, um, but what is your greatest hate again? Uh, those that oppress the weak. Would you think that Julian's become a tyrant, maybe? Oh, for sure. I mean, he's def- he's killing he's killing the innocent for sure. Whether whether under his influence or the influence of these crystals, he is he has harmed the innocent, and he has he has dragged in he has encouraged a he has uh, tried to direct the blame. So without a doubt, he is oppressing the weak. Okay. So I'm also going to say you get a plus one because your greatest hate is the, are those that oppress the weak. So it kind of cancels each other out. Your, your mm-hmm. shakiness and the fury you are feeling um, towards your greatest and most uh, uh, loathsome thing that you detest. So your spirit. Excellent. So he gets to go first because he has the highest spirit score. So he's going to All charge right. forward with his Kalipa. You and Zidra are in the center of these battered gates. Um, I need you to make an avoid check. Okay. Minus one, minus one. Uh, would you call this unarmored? I would call this unarmored. Yes. Uh, you, I would, I would, I would not call this weapon parry though. Uh, yeah, I would not call that weapon parry. Um, yeah, because it's charging at you with its head to knock you down. Ooh, four successes and three boons. Oh. Oh, that's good. Okay, so you definitely dodge out of the way of the Kalipa charging past you. Now, how would you like to spend your boons? I would love to spend all three of those boons to knock him off of the Kalipa and have the Kalipa run off uh, scared into the night. Oh, fabulous. Okay, now narratively describe this for me. I don't want to hurt a good Kalipa. <laughs> I, I totally agree. <laughs> As a vegetarian, I'm very pro animal. Yeah, I'm like, go, go, please. Okay, so I think what happens is uh, the Kalipa charges and uh, the torches, I'm kind of twirling them, giving it almost a target, right? And then it charges, I, I spin out and I use uh, one of the torches, I, I spin out so that it, it charges through like this circle of firelight, basically. So that right. it's running, and I use the other one to like swing to basically knock uh to swing and knock uh Julian off of off of it as it as it just continues charging in off into the night. Awesome. And you hear it give its call as it happily and eagerly rushes off into the night. Um afraid of the fort that it leaves behind them. And Julian, with a kind of gruff, falls off the back of his klepa and falls prone, flat on the ground. Um, Now it is actually your turn. And I'm going to bring down my war torches right on him and try to end this quickly and put a stop to him once and for all. Okay. Now, um, he's prone on the ground, so you also get a plus one to a melee attack against him. Okay. I've got plus, uh, plus one muscle, plus one melee, so that's two, but then minus one because I'm dual wielding. And as a freebie, I'm going to take my attacking stance and get that plus one to make, get an additional plus one to melee. Sounds good. So one, two, three, four, that's plus one. And it costs two uh, boons. 
to activate to to deal the damage of your second hand weapon, and it costs three boons to catch him on fire with your war torches. Excellent. Um, one, two, three, four. That is four successes. That four is... successes and one boon. Oh yeah, you just hit him. Um, he can't lift up his sword. And uh, you do... How much damage does your weapon do? Uh, seven damage. Okay. And what would you like to spend your boon on? Um, I'm going to spend it to uh, add a dice to my next attack. To your next attack? Yeah. Okay. So he takes the, the blunt force of your war torch that smashes him in the chest. But being the nimble warrior that he is, he stands kind of rolls backwards, um, despite the, the, the light armor he's wearing, rolls backwards onto his feet. So that his, that's his action. And then I'm going to spend one of mm-hmm. his spirit, and he is going to run up a stairway onto the battlements above, trying to get in an adv- advantageous position on you. All right. I'm going to uh, follow suit and continue to try to Swing my torches to either knock him down, set him on fire, or just burn him and end this. Okay. And he's kind of at the top of these stairs, um, which are about 20 feet high. So you could even have the possibility of knocking him off if you really wanted to. Go ahead and make a melee check. Okay. So with one extra dice for my previous thing, and that's a total of plus two. So that is seven dice. That's a good roll. And I'm going to increase the difficulty by one because he's at a higher position than you. So he has the advantage. That is five successes and three boon. Oh my. (laughs) You are filled with anger. Um, You definitely hit him again. Now, what would you like uh, to spend your boons on? Uh, I would like to knock him off of the stairs. Um, so that he falls flat on the ground 20 feet below him, or that he tumbles down the stairs? Uh, that he falls flat on the ground 20 feet below. Oof. Okay. Got it. So, uh, that'd be shift and knocking prone. So that would be all your boons. Um, okay. so descri- describe to me what happens. Um... He's running up the stairs and he's got me at arm's length. Like I can't get him in the, I can't get a good body shot in and I'm swinging and he kind of, diff, I think because I'm dual wielding, I swing one and he blocks it away, which actually gives me the body momentum to swing to, to follow through with the other. So I catch him in the back of the knee. He falls flat and then slides and then slides off of the stairs, landing 20 feet below. <sighs> Okay. He smashes into the ground. <coughs> you see um, some blood kind of spittle uh, kind of flow out from his lips. And he wipes it away, looking up at you. And he drops his sword and begins running into his estate, into the old ruined commander's home. I give chase. I follow okay. suit. Now, as you once again pass the threshold of the doorframe, 
There are multiple paths before you, and it is dark and quiet in this place. What direction would you like to head? I'm gonna head. I'm gonna head down towards the statue. Okay. I suspect now, he may have given. I suspect that may be where he's headed. Now, can you give me a perception check? I sure can. Three successes, two boon. Okay. So, as you're walking through, is of course all quiet within. You hear your footsteps until those footsteps are mingled by the rushing paces of someone behind you. You hear the Buddha's steps of Julian, and you turn around just in time to see him try to swing down with his sword at you. How would you like to spend your boons before you make an avoid uh, check on I, him? I'm going to add those both to my avoid check. Okay. And remember, you're still shaking because you, uh, you yes. haven't spent boons for spirit. So, so go go ahead and make that uh, avoid check. Oh, well, then why don't I spend one of those on, on spirit and one of those on my avoid? Clever. So, yeah, now you're no longer shaken. Um you're feeling more confident that you've gotten the better end on Julian. Your your heart's yep. swelling with courage. Um, and you... I, are you going to parry his weapons with your uh, yes, war torches? Yes, yes, yes. I, I bring the war torches up to try and, like... And bring them up to try and, like, guide his sword into a wall, basically. I got Hello. three successes and, and one boon. And I would like to spend that boon, spend that one, uh, that one boon to add another spirit. Okay. So, you lift up, um, your shield, uh, not your shield, excuse me, but this, this formation of your war torches, like an X trying to block his weapons, and his, uh, main hand is holding this rusted axe from a bygone age and it's locked and he's trying to impose his significant strength on you and he's pressing on you and girls just drop your war torches you will see that i am in the right i am the one who represents koreth the angel below so you are going to take a four damage as his weapon begins to kind of get closer to you and he mm -hmm. digs the axe blade into your shoulder, the the, the area All between right. your neck and your right shoulder blade. Alright, then I am going to uh, bring one of my war torches around and just jam it right into his gut. Okay. Please uh, make an avoid, or not, excuse me, a melee check. And I'm oh. going to uh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say I'm going to... Is it possible to use great effort here? Oh, yeah. Uh, completely uh, a possibility. Um, so right. what would be your dice pool normally? Because it scales uh, depending on how many dice you have. Currently, it would be five dice. Five dice, which means you can add an additional two. Okay, great. But if you fail, you lose two spirit. Well, I got one, two... Three, four, five successes, and three boons. Okay, you succeed. What would you like to do? 
Uh, I would like to spend uh, those three boons to catch him on fire. Because if I've got the ability to catch him on fire, I'm going to use that ability to catch him on fire. Okay. And I would like you to narrate this for me. Because this okay. is this might be the end of him. Um, says the axe is digging into my shoulder and I'm starting to lose my grip on one of the torches. And I think what happens is it starts to drag down and I start to drop to one knee. And there's a moment of hesitation where Julian, you can feel him smile a little bit where he feels like this is the end of the fight. And then that that grin pops up a third time on Kyretta's face because she knows that she never backs down from a fight, even when she should, especially when she should. And that's when she drives the, the torch hard into right into his chest. Maybe I'm kind of picturing like a breastplate, so I'm kind of picturing it going under the breastplate onto his like the fabric underneath a little bit. And it just lights up. Like a Christmas tree. He begins um, radiating tendrils of twisting flame that erupt from underneath his uh, bronze breastplate that's dented and scarred from your many battles with the Manduak. And he looks at you, his face turning from a sneer of uh, of almost uh, pleasure and sadistic happiness. <laughs> and it turns into fear as he feels the pain of his skin crackling and boiling from the heat of the fire and he drops that axe he begins pacing backwards his hands kind of trying to find something something to save him along the walls but there's nothing there and then he turns once again like the true coward he is and that he has become and he runs out into the night out into the courtyard past Zidra, who looks at his flaming body, run down the hill towards Oasis, towards the town center where he falls there and then falls to his knees, lets out a cry saying, this is for the angel below! And he falls face down into the dirt where he is stillless, or he's still and motionless. But you are still in the fort. You were not near him when he fell, but Zidra approaches you, and she goes, Are you, child, are you all right? We destroy the crystals. We return to town. And we put an end to this chapter. And I think that's what happens. I think I think we go into his chamber and we smash what few crystals are left. And I, I head into town. I ignore everyone. And for all of their questions, I walk right past them and I walk into my hut. And I... I hand... Ooh, ooh, I know what I do. Ooh, can I give the ending? Is there is there more? Go for it. Good, because I got a good ending. Uh, I walk I walk silently past everyone. And I pick up Julian's sword. And I walk in. And I kneel. And I hand it to the Kargar. And I say, 
You were right. There was something that had changed within Julian, and you were right. I thank you for your honesty and for helping me. Take this blade, but take it as a covenant. That if we need you, if I need you, as the... And she looks out on the horizon. She opens the door. She looks out on the horizon towards where she came from her talks with the Mandoac. If I need you as the head of Oasis, you will stand alongside me and fight. The Kogar, still up in the wee hours of the night, accepts the blades with all four hands and then kneels and looks to you and goes, Yes, I accept you as my chieftain, and I will serve your battle horde. I give myself to you for being an honorable human amongst the others. And then he kneels and bows to you. Go. Go. Hunt. Live your life. If we need you, I will call. And she walks him to the edge of Oasis. And she gives him that same two-finger salute. And he walks off. And that's game. I think it is. That was good. That was very, very good. <sighs> well, Hunter? I'm definitely I'm definitely a fan okay. of it. <laughs> I'm I'm thoroughly I'm I'm thoroughly I'm thoroughly pleased. Hunter, thank you so much for coming on Party of One. This was an awesome game. Thank you so very much. I'm I'm glad you liked it. I loved it. I loved it, loved it, loved it. So real quick, before we wrap up, where can people find your work online? Well, um you can find past personas and prophecies at slyfoxgames.com. You can also find me at Twitter at uh, at Sly Fox Games. This setting is known as it's like a side project of mine. It's called the Wayfarer setting, and you can find these player races and details on the locations also at SlyFoxGames.com. Excellent. Well, I'm going to throw it over to me in the future so that he can wrap up with the show. Take a future me. Thanks for asking me, and thanks again to Hunter for coming onto the show. That game was really really fun. Be sure to head over to SlyFoxGames.com to learn more about Past Personas and Prophecies, as well as the Wayfarer campaign setting, and be sure to follow Hunter on Twitter, at SlyFoxGames. Then while you're on Twitter, follow this show at Party of One Pod, then slide on over to Facebook and like the show at Facebook.com slash Party of One Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, consider giving us a nice iTunes review, a social media shout-out, or a word-of-mouth recommendation. All of those things help new listeners find the show, which helps us do bigger, better, and cooler things. You can also consider backing our Patreon at patreon.com slash partyofonepodcast. Patreon backers get access to bonus material, mini podcasts, and interviews. And Patreon dollars help pay for hosting fees, equipment costs, and convention appearances. If you want to hear more from me, consider checking out All My Fantasy Children, the podcast in which Aaron Catano, Saez, and I take your listener prompts and turn them into beautiful, thriving, vibrant role-playing game children. You can find that at allmyfantasychildren.com. Party of One is produced and edited by Jeff Stormer and Jen Frank. All music for the show comes from the song Infinite Lives by Mega Ran featuring the D&D Sluggers. If you'd like to inquire about advertising rates coming onto the show, or you want to talk about Stranger Things 2 with me because we just finished Stranger Things Season 2 and I can talk about it now, you can email me at partyofonepodcast at gmail.com. 
And that's it for me. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Remember to fight the forces of fascism every single day. Remember that self-love and self-care are radical and defiant acts of resistance. And as always, party on. Never gonna die.